Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us as we continue our series entitled Momentum Through the Finish Line. It's a study of the kings in Second Chronicles. Now, it's both for our church finishing well. We've been around for 143 years, and yet we keep needing to take concrete steps to keep that momentum going. Um, remember, the, the key day is October 20th. This all builds to October 20th, which is five weeks from today. And we're going to talk, I think you're going to find it very interesting on that day. It's going to be a big day with all kinds of food. Maybe we'll have that Krispy Kreme hamburger combination or something like that. All kinds of food, free gifts. It is going to be just an awesome day. And I think you'll be fascinated to see as I overview the last two decades of our church and the concrete steps that we've taken in order to continue our momentum. And then a couple of concrete steps that we're going to take for the future to keep us moving, keep moving uh, to the finish line when Christ returns. Uh, but then this is also in our Christian lives, our individual Christian lives. How can we make sure that we're a church, not just of people who start well in the Christian life, but who finish well? And each week, we come up with like a, a one-minute picture of what it means to, even if we stumble, even if we fall, it says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, that the righteous may fall seven times, but God helps them to get back up again and to finish well. And keys to finishing well. Today, let's look at Solomon. Strong start. He made a really smart request as a young man. This is a good request whether you're young or any age and stage in life. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Oh my goodness. God comes to him. Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge. Uh, wisdom is from the Hebrew word hokmah, which means discernment and judgment. Uh, knowledge is madah, which means practical know-how in everyday affairs. God, you've given me a purpose. You've made me for a purpose. And this purpose seems way beyond what I can accomplish in, in my own strength, my own ability. So would you give me wisdom, discernment and judgment, and mada, uh, knowledge, a practical know-how in everyday life to apply wisdom and knowledge and, and judgment and discernment. Help me to apply that in a practical way, day by day, fulfilling the purpose that you've made me for. Give me wisdom and knowledge so that I can lead these people for who is able to govern this great people of you. He saw that position. What, what's some position you're in? Maybe as a leader in your family or as a leader in the workplace or in an organization. Everybody leads something. Everybody has influence over, uh, over somebody. Even in your oikos, you have a sphere of influence, 8 to 15 Oh God, give me wisdom and knowledge. Help me not to be blessed by these people, but to bless them. Not to be served by them, but to serve. That's the mark of a, of a great leader, is they see their position not as a chance uh, to rip off the natural resources of a, of a nation so that they can benefit their own family or themselves, uh, not seeing that position to feed their ego or their own financial situation, seeing that position of leadership, that position of influence as a chance not to be blessed, but to be a blessing, uh, not to be served, but to serve. God said to Solomon, 
since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. Now, all these are good things, except maybe the death of your enemies. That's not a good thing, but it is really fun when it happens, you know. And so he says, uh, just kidding, kind of. Okay, so at any rate, he says, because he didn't ask for those things. You didn't say, you know what, it's all about wealth and possessions and honor. You know, came across an article a while back that this is such a temptation for today's young adults. The the title of it is Material Kids. Wealth is a top priority for today's youth. Melissa Greenwood sees it every day at her high school. The hyper-focus on designer labels, the must-have trendy cell phones, the classmates driving SUVs. You could say it's just teens being teens, but new polls show that the obsession with material things is growing and that being rich is more important to today's young people than in the past. UCLA's annual survey of college freshmen released last Friday found that nearly three-quarters of those surveyed in the past year thought it was essential or very important to be very well off financially. That compares with 62.5% who said the same in 1980 and 42% in 1966, the first year the survey was done. Another recent poll from the Pew Research Center found that about 80% of 18 to 25-year-olds in this country see getting rich as a top life goal for their generation. Our kids have absorbed the cultural values of more easy, fast, and fun, said David Walsh, a psychologist who heads the National Institute on Media and the Family of Minneapolis. He's also author of the new book, N.O., Know, Why Kids of All Ages Need to Hear It, and ways parents can say it. As his book's title suggests, he believes parents have played an integral role in encouraging their children's materialism. His research found that when adjusted for inflation, parents are spending 500% more money on kids today than just one generation earlier. Where to blame? We the parents, we the grandparents, we are spending five times as much on our children as our parents spent on us. And they're catching the message that when you come to God and he says, give me whatever you want, we're sending the message, well then certainly ask him for wealth, possessions, or honor. Uh, You know, it's so fascinating. I was just reading in a Bible commentary before I went to bed last night, something I hadn't seen before. You, You know where Solomon got this idea from? He got it from his dad, David. There's a passage uh, earlier where David gives a charge to Solomon. And he says, look, uh, if you get the chance, ask for wisdom and knowledge. That's what you need most in life. And Solomon heard that message from his dad. And so when the chance comes, he says, I want wisdom and knowledge. And he says, since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you ever will have. Now, it's not saying that if you do this, you'll be rich like King Solomon, but it does say that if we put God first, the other things in life will will kind of fall into place and take care of themselves. So young adults particularly, early in life, don't buy into the myth and the lie of our culture that says these other things should be your ultimate goal. Seek after the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness 
And then all these other things will be given to you as well. They will fall into place. It's the first fruits principle. You put God first in your finances, the rest of your finances will take care of themselves. You put him first in your time, the rest of your time will fall into place. You give him your heart, the rest of these things will fall into place. Then he fulfilled his purpose that God made him for. Number two, he built the temple. It says in verse one, Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord. That's what Solomon, that's what his purpose, that's what he was called to do. And here we have Solomon building the temple. But in other kings like Hezekiah last Sunday and future kings that we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead, there's this, with Solomon it's building the temple. But with the others, whenever God got a hold of their hearts, almost every time they restored the temple, they renewed the temple, uh, they renovated the temple. And here's a key principle in the Old Testament in the Bible. The condition of the temple mirrored the condition of the heart of the people. The condition of the temple was a picture of the condition. It mirrored the condition of the hearts of the people. So when the temple was was looking good, when the temple was renovated, restored, it was a sign that the people were passionate in their heart for the things of God. But when the temple fell into disrepair, It was symbolic. It mirrored the fact that the people's hearts were far from God as well. And on October 20th, we're going to talk about how we as a church are going to practically apply this principle in the life of our church. We're going to see how this principle that we see in King after King in 2 Chronicles, how we're going to practically take some steps to apply that in the heart of our church and what God has called us to do to continue the momentum that we've had for 143 years. Second Chronicles 7, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people, when God's judgment falls, because the people turn their backs on him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We need to pray this today for our country, for our beloved America. Anybody want to say amen to that? This is what we pray. Oh God, Then number three, he was missions-minded. Now, when we think of missions, that is reaching the world for Christ, carrying the gospel to every person, we tend to think it all started with what's called the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven that was carried out in the book of Acts. But really, the Bible is a missions book from cover to cover. It's all about every ethnic group, every racial group, every nation, ethnos around the world uh, coming uh, to know Christ. But here we see it right here in the dedication of the temple. He says, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, here comes, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Now you can see this fulfilled on the next page of your study outline. Uh, His leadership blessed his people. Um, One of his first visitors was the Queen of Sheba, 
who ruled over the southwest part of what is today the nation of Saudi Arabia. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Um, How blessed, how happy children are in a family that's well-led. How happy people are in the workplace with a boss that leads in order to serve and not be served, to be a blessing, not to to be blessed. How how happy people are in an organization where, where the leadership sees that position as a chance to be a blessing, not to be blessed, for what they can give, not what they can get. How, how blessed, how happy people are in a well-led organization. And, and so she says, how happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God. Because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever, he has made you king over them to maintain, and this reminds us of the Ten Commandments series we did this summer, to maintain justice and righteousness. That's balance in the Christian life. We don't just live righteous lives without pursuing justice, and we don't just pursue justice without pursuing righteousness. There's the balance in the Christian life, justice and righteousness. And then number five, Solomon's wisdom blessed the whole world. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. Now, at first blush, you think that's poetic license. I mean, did literally the whole world uh, hear him? That's poetic license. No, it's not poetic. It's prophetic. Uh, Because if you come today, 3,000 years later, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote the book of Song of Solomon. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And now out of 7 billion people around the world, 2.5 billion followers of Christ in every ethnic group, in every language group, in every racial group, scattered all around the world, 2.5 billion followers of Christ. If, if you throw in um, those that are of the Muslim faith and Jewish faith who also use the books of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, also see uh, Solomon as a prophet, that's well over half the world's population. 3,000 years later, in fulfillment of this, the whole world has sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God put in his heart. Boy, if everybody, anybody ever had a good start, it was Solomon. I mean, this guy had it all. He did it all. Even spiritually, he fulfilled the purpose for which God made him. But here's the problem. And we're going to see this all. This is going to be a theme through all this series. For every 10 people that can handle failure, there's only one that can handle success. For every 10 that can handle the hard times, there's only one that can handle the good times. And and we're going to see that so many of these kings just couldn't handle their success. They just couldn't handle their, their prosperity. Next Sunday at, at five at the fair, uh, we're going to talk about Uzziah. And let me just give you a little a foreshadowing, um, a little bit of a preview of Uzziah. There's this powerful verse that really could be a theme for all of these kings that we're going to study in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 26, the last part of verse 15 and the first part of verse 16. His fame spread far and wide. 
For he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. How many of you have ever seen that true of a politician? How many think have ever seen that true of a business leader? How many have ever seen that true of, of somebody in life, his fame spread far and wide, he or she was greatly helped until they become powerful. Psychologists say it's an amazing thing that happens when a person has too much success, they begin to think they're above the law. They begin to think, you know, they can tweet whatever they want to tweet and they can go online and do whatever they want to do and they can, they can run around and do this or that. They begin to think that they are so powerful that the rules don't apply to them. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful uh, to, the Lord, to the Lord his God. And that's what leads to a weak finish in the Christian life as well. This, we get to this point where we're no longer dependent on the Lord like we were when we were younger. Here comes Solomon's weak finish. Number one, he ignored God's clear-cut warning. You can read that there. Number two, he did not protect himself from negative influences in his inner circle. Now, this is different than your oikos. Your oikos, the 8 to 15-year sphere of influence, should include some non-Christians, some non-Christ followers. As a matter of fact, it's kind of life insurance to have them there. Because if you got nothing but Christians in your oikos, God might as well take you to heaven right now. He's sitting up there going, well, there's no point in keeping them down there. Let's bring them home. You know, you want to hang around, have, have a purpose for hanging around, make sure you're proactive. I'm proactive. Um, and, you know, I got to work on this as a pastor. It's like extra hard to have oikos, you know, that are not followers of Christ. Have them in there because the goal, his goal for us is to go to heaven and to take our oikos with us there. And it needs to include some people that are not Christ followers. But your inner circle, that's different. Your inner circle are the two or three people in your life that you completely open up your heart to so that they can have influence over your heart. Those people should only be equally on fire followers of Christ. That includes the person you marry. If you've already made that choice, that, that's, that God will bless you from this point forward. You can just water under the bridge, move on. But if you have not yet made that choice, if God leads you to be married, you should only allow in that inner circle, that person you connect to in marriage, to be a follower of Christ. And that's what happened with Solomon. He, he said, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Uh, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Uh, verse four, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And you say, well, you know, what's the big deal? He's just not open to diversity or whatever, you know, in his religious pursuits. He, he followed Ashtoreth, which was the sex goddess of the Sidonians. You worshipped her through sexual immorality. And then Moloch. And Moloch, the way you worshipped Moloch was to do child sacrifice. It was to burn babies alive. It was to kill children. That's how far the de Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites, so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And then number three, Solomon's excess has led to his heart drifting from God. You read this warning, 400 years before Solomon. It was part of his Bible. 
He had this in his Bible. In Deuteronomy, it warned kings about three things. Self, sex, and silver. You can read it on your own there. Sex, or self, sex, and silver. Let me just ask you, does that get most people? Is that, those are the three things that most things that have you not finished well will fall into. Now, the antidote to that is, it says there in verse 19, it is, you're to take God's word and read it all the days of his life. Uh, You know, here Moses warned Solomon 400 years before, 1400 BC, 400 years earlier, it was in Solomon's Bible. Now watch out for self, okay, pride, arrogance, sex, and silver, okay, materialism and and, and sex. Watch out for those three. Now here's the way you, you protect your heart, this book. Read it every day. And there are four S's that are antidotes to those three X's. Self, sex, and silver. Here are the four S's. Study God's word. Stay steady in fellowship. Steady in fellowship. Connect with other believers. Study God's word. Steady in fellowship. Serve and share Christ with your oikos. Serve people and share. So study, steady, um, serve, and share. I want to end on a little bit of a humorous note. Um, Pastor Tamika, who was just up here doing announcements, uh, she, she and Chris, her husband, just have such a, such a cute little guy, um, a Christian. Uh, let's put his picture up there. There he is in his USC garb. There he is proudly wearing it. He took it off after last weekend, but he has now put it back on once again. And, uh, and so I said to Tamika, because I'd seen these cute pictures of him on Facebook, I said, you know, just send me some pictures. It'll be fun to share them with the church at some point. And it was amazing how the three pictures he sent were like, just fit into my message perfectly. It illustrates these four S's, okay? Uh, here we go. First of all, study. Well, let's go. There he is studying God's word. It was Bill Heibel's power of a whisper. Okay, I've shown you that one before. Um, um, let's see, study, steady and fellowship. Let's show him there. Even when he's on vacation, he's still watching online. Even when he's on vacation, he's steady in fellowship. Number three, serve. There he is serving in parking lot patrol. There he is guarding your car. And share, there he is with a member of his oikos, David Scarborough, and sharing with his uh, oikos. So there you've got the four of those. Let's stand uh, to close in prayer, okay? Um, and as we stand, I want to ask Cliff and Celeste Grassman to come on up here. Um, Cliff and Celeste, wonderful part of our church family. They were missionaries uh, from here, from our church for uh, many years in England with food ministries, with Operation Mobilization, and, and, and uh, as a chef, uh, uh, feeding them, and just a, a powerful, powerful missionaries. They came home to care uh, for Cliff's dad and, and mom, and, and they're home with the Lord now. And uh, now, uh, what they're going to do is go back to South Africa for the rest of their lives. That's where Celeste is from. And, and you know, just knowing how they've had an impact on the mission field, how they've had an impact on our church, I think this is just like a gift to South Africa to encourage and to bless the church there. So we just wanted to pray for them as they head to, um, head to South Africa. Would you let them know that we love them and we appreciate them? Love you guys. Lord, I thank you for this couple, and they have been such a personal encouragement to me and to my family. I know that uh, Cliff has been a mentor to my son, John, um, in, in, in missions and in the whole using 
food, feeding people for missions and for the cause of Christ. And Celeste, what a dear she has been. Just, just such a precious encourager within our church family. The two of them serving on our deacons board after their years on the mission field. And now, Lord, I really believe, we've seen this in, 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 your, in the Word, that you move people around. You're moving people uh, into our backyard that we can uh, serve in, in missions in a way. You're bringing the world to us, and you're taking us to the world. And, and the movement of Christians around the globe is one of the ways you fulfill your great commission, one of the ways you fulfill that promise to Solomon that all the peoples of the earth would find you and would turn to you. So bless them, protect them, use them to be an encouragement to the body of Christ and to reach people for Jesus. And we pray for the nation of South Africa. And now, Lord, we close with this benediction for Cliff and Celeste, for us, as we go to our mission field and our oikos and our workplace and where we go to school and in our neighborhood and in our family. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us And by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.